Welcome to episode four of the Mr. Dog Podcast, where every week until Christmas, we'll be reading another of Albert Bigelow Payne's classic Victorian era stories about the hollow tree and the animal friends that live there. Payne wrote three books of hollow tree stories, one for each of his three daughters. The last story in the series is called Christmas at the Hollow Tree Inn, and it's that wonderful final story that has been read aloud in my family for three generations now, every Christmas Eve. I'm Henry Cordes, and this is the Mr. Dog Podcast, produced by That So Enterprises. Last week on the show, we heard the story of the Crow's Company and how he invited Mr. Dog over, but things didn't go quite as planned. And how it all turned into a great big joke, just not quite the one Mr. Crow intended. Well, this week, some of the hollow tree folks get a little philosophical, and each try to prove that they know more than the next. So this episode, we're not just going to have one story, but three short ones, as Mr. Coon, Mr. Possum, and Jack Rabbit each tell a story about the moon. Last night, when the full moon looked into the house of many windows, the little lady stood looking at it for a long time. She had been told that the moon was another world, and that the stars were worlds too, and she was trying to think how that could be, when they looked so small and close together. Also, if it were all true, and they were so big, why they did not get against each other when the sky itself wasn't any bigger than the world, and came down to it everywhere at the edges. She asked the storyteller about it when he came in. The storyteller tried to explain that the stars and moon were not so close together as they looked, and that some were a good deal farther away than others, and a lot more things, all of which the little lady doubted, because she said she could see for herself that the sky was just a round blue ceiling, and that the moon and stars were right against it, and if any of them were further away than the others, they would be over beyond the ceiling and wouldn't show. This was a good deal easier for the storyteller to understand than the things he had been trying to tell. So he said, why, of course, I hadn't thought of that. And then he said he knew some stories about the moon that were a good deal truer, he guessed, than most anything else. And then he told her, first of all, Mr. Coon's story of the moon. Once upon a time, when Mr. Dog had invited the crow and the turtle to his house for supper, Jack Rabbit came over to the hollow tree to spend the evening with the coon and the possum, and they all took a long walk. They walked and walked, till by and by they got to the edge of the world, and sat down and hung their feet over, and talked and looked at the full moon that was just rising. They talked first about one thing and then another, and then they got to talking about the moon, and come to find out one thought it was this, and one thought it was that, and the third man, which was the coon, said he knew it wasn't either one, for the moon had once belonged to his family, and he knew all about it. So then they agreed between them to let each one tell what he knew about the moon and how he came to know it and all about it. And Mr. Coon told first. 
Well, he said, a long time ago, about sixteen great-great-grandfathers back, our family lived in a big woods in a big tree that was on top of a high mountain and touched the sky with its top limbs when the wind blew. It was a good big family, too. I don't know just how many there were, but I know there was an old grandmother besides the father and mother and a lot of children. They were a very noisy lot of youngsters, so the story goes, nearly all of the same age, and used to tear around the house and never want to do anything but play and run up and down stairs, until my sixteenth great-great-grandmother used to stop her ears and say that those children would be the death of her, and she wished there were a school in the neighborhood so they could be sent to it. But those children never wanted to learn anything, and never thought about even knowing their letters, until one day Father Coon came home from town with a brand new shiny tin plate with the alphabet around on the edge of it. When they saw that, they all made a grab for it and claimed it. But Father Coon held it up high and said that it was for the one that first learned his letters. He said that they were to take turns using it, a different one each time, and whoever was using it could study his letters while he was eating. He said that when it had been all around once, he would see who knew the most letters and would give it to him the next time, and so on, and the first one who knew all of them should have it for his own to keep. Well, the first night he gave it to a fellow named Bushy, and sat down by him and told him all the letters over and over, and all the rest leaned across the table and looked on instead of eating, all except one fellow named Smart who was good at learning things by heart, and he just listened and ate too. He did that right along every meal till it came his turn, and then he pretended to look very close, but all the time he was only saying the letters over and over in his head, and laughing to himself to think how he was going to surprise everybody when the time came to see who knew the most. And that's just what he did do. For when the plate had gone clear round, and Father Coon called them all up one night after supper to see who could tell the most letters on it. Some only knew three, and some four, and some of them knew six. But when it came Smart's turn, he commenced when Father Coon pointed to A, and said everyone clear through, too, and just as fast as he could say them. Then the others all began to cry, and Smart took the plate and walked off with it into the next room, and sat down, and was saying the alphabet over and over, when all at once Bushy happened to notice that when Smart pointed out the letters for himself and said them, he was just as apt to begin any place else as at A, and that he only knew them by heart and didn't know a single one when he saw it. Of course, that made Bushy mad, and he ran out and told the rest that Smart didn't know his alphabet at all, and that he couldn't even tell A when it was by itself and all the others set up a great fuss, too. They said he had to go out with the plate to Father Coon again, and Smart said he wouldn't do it, that it was his plate, and that he had said his letters once and didn't intend to say them for, again for anybody. Then Bushy grabbed the plate and said it was his because he knew six letters, and then a little fellow named Stripe grabbed it away from Bushy because he knew six letters, too. And pretty soon they all got into a regular fight over it, and made such an awful noise that Grandmother Coon thought the tree was falling down, came running in, and when she saw what they were fighting over, she grabbed it away from all of them, 
and opened the window and flung it out just as hard as ever she could fling it. And the tin plate went sailing and shining right straight up in the air and kept on sailing and shining till it got to the sky. And then, of course, it couldn't get any further, but it went right on sailing and shining in the sky and has been there sailing and shining ever since. And that, said Mr. Coon, that's the moon. Oh, pshaw, said the possum. What made those dark spots on it, said the rabbit. Mr. Coon didn't know what to say to that just at first, and then he happened to think. Why, he said, that's where they rubbed the tin off, fighting over it. Nonsense, said the rabbit. Well, this is the story told by Mr. Possum when he and Mr. Coon and Jack Rabbit sat on the edge of the world and hung their feet over and looked at the moon. Well, said Mr. Possum, a good many years ago, when there were a great many more chickens than there are now, and Mr. Man took good care of them for us and let them roost in trees instead of locking them up every night in an unhealthy little pen, my folks used to go around sometimes after Mr. Man had gone to bed and look them over and pick out what they wanted for the next day. I don't know why we ever began the custom of picking out our victuals at night that way, when it was dark and dangerous, but somehow we always did it and have kept it up ever since. Humph, <laughs> said the coon. Yes, continued Mr. Possum. That was before there was any moon, and the nights were always dark. It wasn't a good time to choose food, and very often my folks made a mistake and got a seven-year-old bantam hen instead of a spring pullet, which is about the same size. This happened so much that by and by a very wise possum named Smooth said that if they would keep him in chickens of a youthful and tender sort, he would fix up a light so they could see and know what they were doing. They all agreed to it, and that night Smooth built a big fire in the top of a tall tree and sat up there and tended to it until early morning. And my folks brought home the finest lot of chickens that Mr. Man had raised for them in a good many years. Well, there was never any trouble after that to pick out young meat, and Smooth kept the fire going nights and ate a good deal and got pretty fat so that he didn't like to work and kept planning some way to make his job easier. He wanted to find a light that he wouldn't have to tend to and keep piling wood on all night. He thought about this for a long time and used to fall asleep and dream about it. And once he let the fire go out and fell out of the tree and nearly gave up his job altogether. Well, while he was getting well, he had a good deal of company. And one day a top-knot crow named Dusk came to see him. Now you know that our friend Mr. Crow is a wise bird today, but in the old times a top-knot crow was wiser than anything that now flies or walks, and Dusk was a very old bird. He knew a great deal about Mr. Man and his ways, and he told Smooth that he had seen in Mr. Man's pantry, where he went sometimes, a light that would not go out during a whole night, and that had a big, bright, something behind it that would throw the light in any direction. Dusk, who used to carry off almost everything he saw, whether he wanted it or not, said that he thought he might carry this light off 
if Smooth would be willing to let him have a few chickens for a party he was going to give. Smooth told him he might take his pick out of his share of the chickens for the next six months if he would only bring that light. And Dusk didn't waste any time, but brought it the very next evening. It was a beautiful light, and Smooth fastened it to the tip-top of the tall tree so that it would swing in any direction. And the bright, round thing behind it threw the light just where he wanted it. It burned oil, and he used to fill it up with chicken oil in the evening, and it would burn all night and make a better light than the fire ever did. So all he had to do was to keep it filled and turned in the direction that my folks were harvesting their chicken crop, and then he could go to bed and sleep all night if he wanted to. And that's just what he did do. And one night while he was asleep, there came up a terrible storm. Of course, if Smooth had been awake, he would have taken the light down. But he wasn't awake. And the first he knew, he heard broken limbs falling and crashing all around. And he jumped up and ran out just in time to see the tip top of the lamp tree break off, lamp and all. And go whirling round and round, right straight up in the air, till it got to the sky. And there it stuck fast. It never went out either, but kept on turning round and round and giving light in different directions at different times in the month. And that, said Mr. Possum, is the moon. And you don't always see it because sometimes the bright reflecting thing is turned in the other direction. And when it's turned part way around, you see part of it. And it's always been so ever since that night Smooth went to sleep and the storm came up and carried it off. Humph, said the coon. What makes those spots on it, then? said the rabbit. Why, said Mr. Possum, thinking as quick as he could, those those are, are some leaves that blew up against the reflecting thing and stayed there. Nonsense, said the rabbit. And this is the story that Mr. Jackrabbit told to Mr. Coon and Mr. Possum when they sat together on the edge of the world and hung their feet over and looked at the moon. After Mr. Possum had finished his story, the rabbit leaned back and swung his feet over the big nowhere a while, thinking. Then he began. Well, he said, my folks used to live in the moon. Humph, said the coon. Nonsense said the possum. Yes, said Jackrabbit, they did. The moon is a world, away over on the other side of the big nowhere, and it doesn't stand still and stay topside up like this world, but keeps moving about and turning over, so that you have to look sharp and hang on tight to keep from falling off when it tips bottom side up, or is standing on its edge as it is tonight. My folks used to live there, and Mr. Dog's folks used to live there, too. That was a long time ago, before Mr. Dog either, ever went to live with Mr. Man. And he was big and savage and had no more manners than he has now. My folks never could and never did get along with Mr. Fo Dog's folks worth a cent, but they could mostly beat Mr. Dog's folks running, so they didn't have to associate with him unless they wanted to. Of course... Mr. Dog's family didn't like that, for they thought they were just as good as we were, and they used to hide and watch for us, and when we came by, jump out and try to keep up with us for as much as two or three miles sometimes, just as Mr. Dog tried to keep up with me the other day, 
which you may remember. The possum and coon grinned to themselves and nodded. Well, continued Mr. Rabbit, there are some laws of etiquette, which means politeness, up there in the moon, and they are very strict. The old man in the moon makes these laws, and when one of them is broken, he makes the one that breaks it just go right on doing whatever it is for 999 years, and sometimes a good deal longer when it's a worse break than usual. Now the very strictest of all these laws used to be the one about Mr. Dog trying to keep up with our folks. It was called the brush pile law. It didn't say that he couldn't keep up with us if he was able, but it did say that when we, we ran over a brush pile, as we did sometimes, he must follow around the brush pile and never jump over it, no matter what happened. This was a hard law for Mr. Dog to keep, for he was mostly fat and excitable, and my folks would run around and around a brush pile as much as a hundred times very often, and tire Mr. Dog so that he couldn't move. Then my folks would laugh and go home leisurely, while Mr. Dog would sneak off with his tongue hanging out till it dragged on the ground. Well, one day in the spring, when my family was out for an airing and a little sunshine, they got a good ways from home, and all of a sudden here comes Mr. Dog, and his whole family too. My folks didn't want anything to do with them, and set out for home in several directions, with Mr. Dog's folks following most all of them. My 21st great-great-grandfather was getting pretty old, and he couldn't run very fast, and there was a young, anxious-looking dog named Leap quite close behind him. So the first brush pile he came to, my relative paused, and when Leap came around one way, he went the other. And they kept that up until Leap got so mad and excited and worn out that he didn't care for the brush pile law or anything else except my 21st great-great-grandfather. And all of a sudden he gave a great big bark and a high jump right straight over the top of the brush pile. And just that second, the moon tipped up on its edge, and all my folks, and all Mr. Dog's folks, came tumbling right down through the big nowhere to the earth, because they were all running and not holding on. All except Leap, who stayed right up in the air, according to law, and he has been there ever since. And when my folks, and Mr. Dog's folks, got down to the earth, they were all so scared that my folks ran in one direction and Mr. Dog's folks ran in another. The dog family kept on running till they got to Mr. Man's house, and there they hid and stayed. And since that day, concluded Mr. Jackrabbit, there has never been any of our family in the moon, and Leap is the only dog there. He's still jumping over the brush pile because he broke the law. And you can see him there any clear night when the moon sits up on its edge, as it does now. And that's what those spots are. A dog jumping over a brush pile. It's just as plain as can be. The possum and the coon looked up at the full moon and said that the spots certainly did look a good deal like Mr. Jog jumping over a brush pile, but that the rabbit couldn't prove his story any more than they could prove theirs. And that it wasn't any better story if it was as good. Of course I can prove it, said the rabbit. There is an old adage about it, and you can prove anything by an old adage. 
It goes this way. The longest way is often best. Never jump over a cuckoo's nest. I don't know why it says cuckoo's nest, but I suppose cuckoos always used to build in brush piles in the moon, and maybe they do yet. Anyhow, it proves it. Why, yes, said the coon. Sure enough. That's so, it does, said the possum. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, we'll hear all about what Mr. Crow and Mr. Dog were up to while these three were busy spinning yarns about the moon. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. If you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes and let your friends know, too. You can follow Mr. Dog on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love it if you dropped us a note there to say hi. Our handle is at Mr. Dog's Christmas. For more about Mr. Dog, please go to MrDogsChristmas.com. Again, that's MrDogsChristmas.com. This has been the Mr. Dog Podcast, a presentation of That So Enterprises. Till next week, I'm Henry Cordes. Mm-hmm.